0: It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, Just a little over 15 years ago, I arrived here in the valley and uh, Pastor Mendoza, uh, excuse me, Pastor Noe Mendoza, we have to refer to them by their first names here now, right? Pastor Noe and Pastor Jeremy. Uh, He called me and he took me to tony roma's on 10th street that's when they were still open there and uh, he was a blessing to me as a young pastor one thing i i that stood out to me uh, from that conversation was he said david there's a lot of pastors that come to the valley there's not many that stay and uh, so i'm glad to say i'm still here i understand what he's talking about though because Recently, I was at a pastor's conference in San Antonio, and there was a a guy that was sitting. We were kind of eating breakfast, and he was at another table. And uh, I heard him say, uh, yeah, I used to be in McAllen. He said, I hated that place. And then he proceeded to run it down, and my blood began to boil. My face got red, and I, (laughs) I didn't say anything. Holy Spirit worked. At that moment but uh, I can proudly say I'm from the valley now my son is married a valley girl and uh, I now have a grandbaby who had a milestone last night she climbed out of her crib for the first time (laughs) so that's exciting Uh, I'm excited uh, to just plant my feet here and grow and uh, pastor Jeremy also a blessing to me. And uh, we've had lunch a few times, and it's a joy to sit with him. He encourages me. He his, uh, his fervor for the Lord is an encouragement. And I would say this. You have a pastor who's from the valley. And uh, I think you can see God do some great things with that. Because there are a lot of guys like me that have come to the valley. But there's just not that many guys that are from the valley raised up and uh, preaching. So get behind him, love him, support him, pray for him, and uh, see God do some great things. Now, I'm here this morning. I want to be a a blessing to you. I also want to be a blessing to Pastor Jeremy. Uh, So I told him that I would preach long. That way you would appreciate him when he came back. But I will not try to do that. I am reminded, I grew up in West Virginia, and uh, when I was a a boy, before I got saved, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and kind of the layout here this morning, we're kind of heavy on this side, and I remember growing up, everybody sat on one side of the church. Literally, when you walked in, everybody sat on the right-hand side, and I remember asking my dad, and I said, Dad, why does everybody sit on the right-hand side? And he says, well, son, when you were little, do you remember that there were two furnaces up at the front? I'm like, oh, yeah, I do kind of remember that. They had replaced them years and years ago. They hadn't worked when I was little. But he said, "Back, way back when, he said, one of those furnaces worked. And it was the one on the right-hand side. So on the cold times, everybody sat on the right-hand side, they just, and Presbyterians are like Baptists. They find a seat, and they sit in it for eternity. So... (laughs) Can you imagine what it was like to be a slave in Egypt? Think for a moment. I mean, when, when, when they moved down there, they, they gave them the land, kind of put them in the land there of Midian, and they said, well, they're shepherds, we really don't like them. I mean, so, so even when the Egyptians were favorable to the Israelites, they kind of looked down on them, kind of gave them their own place to be, kept them away, and then then eventually enslaved them and you just wouldn't feel accepted you wouldn't feel very worthy you'd feel looked down upon really but god redeemed those people out of egypt and he brought them into the wilderness of sinai and and he wanted to dwell among them. And so he told them to build a, a temple. And we're going to look this morning at, we're going to get to the New Testament temple, okay? But to get there, I want us to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a temple, sim, a temple system that consisted of the tabernacle at first as they were traveling. And then eventually a temple when they got to the Uh, promised land. So we had a temple, we had priests, and then we had sacrifices and offerings. And have you ever thought about the privilege it would have been to not only go and see the temple, but think about the privilege of serving in the temple, to being there, because that was where the presence of God was, that's where the glory of God would come down upon the tabernacle and the temple, and just to be there and to, to see that would be incredible. We see the setup for Israel after God redeemed them from Egypt in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 there. This is just after they've came out of Egypt. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now pay attention to this phrase. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. These people who were enslaved have now just been told by God that they are precious to him. And out of all the world, he has chosen them. Now, they are a kingdom of priests. Priests serve as a go-between between God and people. So priests represent God to the people, but then they also represent the people to God. And here the Lord says that Israel will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But how can the whole nation be priests? Especially when we have the tribe of Levi that's been set aside to worship in the temple or to do the temple worship. The key to understanding this is representation. Who is the priest representing? Within the nation of Israel, the Levites were to represent God... To the people of Israel. And thus Israel was represented by the Levites. But in the nation of Israel, they were to represent Israel as a kingdom of priests to the world. So out of all the nations, they were to look to Israel to represent God to them. If the nations desired to interact with God, they were to go through Israel. If the nations desired a blessing from God, they were to receive it through Israel. If the nations wanted to know what God's rule looked like, they only needed to look to Israel. Furthermore, the Lord desired to dwell with His people. But the people of Israel were not a perfect people. They needed sacrifices to atone or to cover for their sin. So the Lord commanded that a temple be built, a tabernacle and later a temple, that would be a representation of Eden, a model of his heavenly throne where he would dwell with his people. We see that in Exodus 25:8 He says, "And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. It was the tabernacle that God would meet with the high priest. In Exodus 25:22, it says, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you uh, in commandment for the people of Israel. You see, Israel was to represent God's rule to the nations, but they failed. God exiled them from the Promised Land and placed them in captivity in Babylon. There they dwelt among the Gentile nations without a temple. But Isaiah made a prophecy to a future restoration of God's people with a rebuilt temple. In Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, he says this, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste or have to run from judgment. And then Jesus came upon a scene. And he made this statement in John 2, 19. It says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus declared that he was the temple of God. He was the very presence of God. Juan Sanchez, in his commentary in 1 Peter, says this, the building had become personal. He was the place where God met with his people, where God's rule was displayed to the world, and where atonement, was made available. But after his ascension, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. So the living temple is no longer dwelling with us. But this is where Jesus is also the cornerstone of God's temple. Jesus is the foundation stone upon which a New Testament temple is being built, all of which was foreshadowed in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, and 23, it says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, is anybody here work in construction? No? Okay. I have a brother. Oh, here we go. Okay. So I have a brother-in-law that builds houses. Now, if I were to build a house, you wouldn't want to live in it. It would be unsafe. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what good material is and not what to look for and all those type of different things. But builders do. They know how to build and they know what a good, uh, in this case, a good cornerstone would look like. At least they should know. But this psalm tells us that the people that should have recognized a good cornerstone rejected it. And so we know that there's going to come a cornerstone that the people that should recognize it won't and Jesus himself referred to this prediction in Psalm 118 in the book of Matthew 21 verses 33 through 45 and he tells this parable and he's speaking to the Jewish leadership he says here another parable there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures About them. After Peter healed a crippled beggar, he was brought before the high priest in the Jewish council. And in Acts 4, verse 5, we read this On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anna, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priest family, the people that should have recognized the Messiah. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, you have a choice. God has offered salvation through Jesus Christ, and there's no other way to be saved, no other payment for our sin, no other satisfaction of God's justice than to call out to God and ask him to forgive you because of what Jesus Christ did in his death, burial, and resurrection. And you have the choice of coming to him as your king, or if you reject him, he will crush you what Jesus was saying. This stone will crush you or you will break on it when you fall. Now, when I grew up in West Virginia, my grandparents and, and us, we had linoleum floors and, uh, and some hardwood floors and that type of thing. And, and when you would drop a glass, sometimes it wouldn't break. But when I got down here to the valley, we found this thing called tile. And it's beautiful, right? And, and I can remember we just wanted tile. We had carpet in our house, and we just wanted tile. It was so beautiful and everything. And we put, we put tile throughout our kitchen and that type of thing. And, uh, man, the first time I dropped the cup, I was like, oh, no. Maybe it'll be okay, my mind is thinking. And it just shattered. I mean, there was no hope, right? Broken to pieces. And I've never dropped anything on the tile that survived. That's what Jesus Christ is like. You either come to Him for salvation, or you will break upon Him in judgment. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, make today the day. Make today the day. He's your only hope for salvation. But now I'd like for us to turn to 1 Peter. So that may be the longest introduction I've ever given in a sermon, because now we're going to look at our text. Have no fear. I told Jeremy I'd preach long. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 4. Because I told you I was going to tell you about the New Testament temple system. But let me introduce you to 1 Peter. Man, 1 Peter is wonderful. It is just packed with quotes and allusions to the Old Testament, it's just full of them. I mean, he just comes out right out of the gate. And. Peter is presenting Christians, and he is including Gentiles here as a new covenant people who have been brought into covenant with God through the regenerating power of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. He does that in the first couple verses. If you look at verse 2, he says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ... And for sprinkling with his blood. And that sprinkling with his blood, it's only found in one other place. In the, and it's in the Old Testament. When Moses came down, he went up on the mountain three times. First time he came down, he verbally conveyed the covenant. And the people said, we'll obey that. So then God, then Moses went back up and God gave him the law. And he wrote it in a book. And when he came back down, he read the book in front of the people. And the people said, yeah, we'll obey, we'll obey that. And when they did that, then he made a sacrifice. And he sprinkled the book And he sprinkled the people and he brought them into covenant. And then it was the third time he went up on the mountain when he received the tablets of stone that when he came back down, guess what had happened? The people that had said two times, actually three times, that they would obey the covenant failed to obey. But they were sprinkled with blood. They were brought into a covenant. Now, that was the old covenant. That was with a calf. We've been sprinkled here, Peter says. We've got a new covenant where we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's for the purpose of obedience. And so he is using language of the Old Testament to talk to us and say, Look, you've been brought not out of Egypt, but out of your sin. To live in obedience to Jesus Christ. And you're going to travel in this world as you journey towards the promised land... Not the promised land of Israel, but the promised land of heaven. And while on our journey to our eternal promised land, we are to expect trials that will test the genuineness of our faith. We see that in verses, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Listen, folks, living the Christian life can be hard. It can be difficult. And the world will shun us and despise us. Even here in the United States of America. And you need to be ready. Because we stand with Christ. Who did no wrong and was crucified. And that we are told by Peter that we are going to face trials. Trials. And the world will shun and despise us. But in verses 14 and 15, as God's children, we are expected to be obedient and holy. And as God's children, we are to show unwavering and sincere, loving devotion to our fellow brothers and sisters in verse 22 of chapter 1. And so we've been brought into covenant, but where does God meet with his new covenant people? Where is his rule put on display for the world to see? Well, there needs to be a temple. And there needs to be priests and a people and offerings. So you as individual Christians should display Christ likeness, but you can't display God's kingdom rule by yourself. For that, you need a temple. You need priests, you need a people. You need offerings, and I would argue to you this morning, you need a church. You need a church. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. We're going to look first at verses 4 and 5. It says, As you come to Christ, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ here is our New Testament temple system first we note that the church is the temple he says you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house when Christians gather as a church We are a spiritual house in that the spirit is the mortar that joins together us. So now, this afternoon, without your husband doing anything wrong, ladies, you can look at him and say, Boy, you're just a brick. You're a brickhead. We're all bricks. And we're joined together by the Holy Spirit to the cornerstone, which is Christ. And we are built up as a temple. The Spirit is the mortar. We are the stones. All Christians are individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So the Spirit indwells believers, and our bodies are called a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Now, since the Holy Spirit indwells believers, you can have confidence, even during dark trials, that God is with you and will never forsake you. But the emphasis in the New Testament is that Christians are corporately the temple of God. So I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit individually. And that's a comfort because when I go out into the world and I'm persecuted, God's always with me. He's always watching over me. And that's a great comfort. But when we gather together, we're a temple of God. Look at first... Well, don't turn there. I think they have it up here. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Now, I'm reading to you from the ESV. And and this is an English service. I don't think you have this problem with your Spanish Bibles. But within English, when I say you, it's not apparent whether I'm talking to you. Like if I point at Danny here and I say you... Now, I could just be talking to her, or I could be referring to all you, right? Now, thankfully, here in Texas, we have y'all as the plural, right? So there's you individually, but then there's y'all. Well, in this verse, in the English translation, we want to think y'all, okay? So 1 Corinthians 3.16, says, Do y'all not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? All 'all. (laughs) y'all. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens as Gentiles. We're not outside the covenant anymore. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So individually, Christians are a temple of the Holy Spirit, but corporately we are the temple of God. Christianity is not bound to a central physical temple. In Israel, there were three feasts during the year where the people were required to go gather in Jerusalem. No matter where they lived in the country. But with Christianity, we are not bound to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Wherever they may be in the world, when Christians gather as a church, they are a temple, the place where God dwells. We are living stones. Again, quoting Juan Sanchez in 1 Peter for you. We are a part of something much larger than ourselves. No matter where we are, no matter how small our gathering, we are God's building project, God's temple. And he will continue building it by bringing people from different ethnicities, generations, and socioeconomic backgrounds together in Christ. Wherever Christians are gathered throughout the world, God is there. Wherever there is a true church, there the rule of God is displayed and the worth of Christ, the fame of Christ, is proclaimed. When you meet with your church this Sunday, that is a tiny part of a small section of a wall of the temple that God is building up throughout his world. When someone is converted, they become a living stone, brought into the church and built into the temple. Christianity is not an individual endeavor. We were created for a community. That's Juan Sanchez. So when you hear somebody say, Well, I can go hunting or fishing and worship the Lord out on the lake. True. But that's not what New Testament Christians are called to do. We're not to be lone rangers. You know, here in the United States, we, we like our independence. And in Texas, we like it even more. Right? I've never heard in all my life until I moved to Texas, I never heard heard more about secession than I have since I came to Texas. When they're like, well, y'all can do what you want, but you know, we're like the fifth largest economy in the world if we're our own country, you know. And that type of thing. I mean, we're very independent, but Christians aren't supposed to be. We need one another. The church is the temple of God, and Christians are the priests. He says in verse 5, going back to 1 Peter, He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The tribe of Levi was set apart in Israel to tend to the temple. Remember, the sons of Aaron were to make the offerings. But then the rest of the Levitical tribe was to take care of the furniture, take care of the place, make sure the building was kept up, and all that other stuff, right? So so they, they kept care of the temple of God. But it was the high priest alone who made the offering on the Day of Atonement. Well, Christ is our high priest who made the final atonement for our sins by the sacrifice of his own life. So, as a corporate group of priests, Christians are to tend to the church, the New Testament temple. So, it's your responsibility as a priest and mine to gather together and take care of the temple. Now, what am I talking about there? This building? No. You, right? We're individual stones built into this thing called the church. We gather together and we care for one another. And we support one another. How many of you have had a Sunday where you're just like, you know, I don't feel like going to church. Life stinks right now. But I'm going to go anyway. And you get to church. And you've had a bad day. Bad week. Then you start to sing. And you look over and you see Sister Mary or whoever it is. And you know she's got it hard. And she's just singing. And you think, what a God. And then you look over and you see Brother Juan, and he was away from God for a long time, but he's back. And he's been faithful. And he just loves the Lord. And you're encouraged. You're built up. And then somebody comes to you and they say, Hey, how are you doing? And instead of just saying, Oh, I'm fine, great, how are you? You say, you know what, this this week stunk. How can I pray for you? That's why we come. We, We need to tend to the church. When you're not here, you're delinquent in your service to the Lord. He says to the people who are here. I'm preaching to the choir. Hey, praise the Lord that you're here this morning. But maybe next week you're thinking, eh, I don't feel like going to church. No, come. Come. Tend to the church. Just prior, Peter talked about, to our passage, Peter talked about just a fervent love for one another. And that means loving us when we're not that lovable. I tell my people, he says, you know what? You know why the Lord tells us to bear with one another? Because some of you are unbearable. (laughs) Love's not easy, folks. Some people are easier to love than others, but we're commanded to love them all. We are to love and help one another to walk in holiness so we'll be a holy priesthood. Now, your salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But your sanctification, okay, that's where we start growing in the image of Christ. We're we're justified, we're declared righteous through faith in Christ alone. But then we begin this process of sanctification where God makes us into the image of Christ. Your sanctification is a group project led by pastors. In other words, you're responsible for His sanctification. Yeah, check, take a look at him. Make sure you know. Right? We're responsible for one another. It's not just the pastor's job. The pastor's job is to lead. Okay? So the pastors lead you in this group project of taking care of one another and helping one another grow into the image of Christ. Your sanctification is a group project led by pastors, like Moses and Aaron leading the Israelites through the wilderness. So as priests, we are to tend to God's temple, the church. And as a corporate group of priests, Christians are to make offerings. But what type of offerings? Look at verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices or spirit-empowered sacrifices. We are to offer these sacrifices which are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now Paul had this in mind, the same idea in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A, little sim- a simpler definition of this is found in Second Corinthians 5.15. It says, And Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ gave His life for you, you give your life in appreciation to Him. And that means loving His body, which is believers. We are to serve the Lord with our lives. It includes evangelism as we bring new converts into the church. But it also includes helping others bear their burdens... So fulfill the love of Christ. This service includes praise of God that the nations hear. And we see that in chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Peter. This service includes displaying God's kingdom rule in the church through encouraging one another, warning one another, disciplining those who aren't following the Lord. They're saying they're Christians, but they're not acting like. We put his rule on display and say, that's not acceptable. You see, the church is the New Testament temple system. And you need to gather in person with the church. And you need to commit to a church in church membership. And so I would say to you this morning, if you've not committed to any church in church membership, commit to this one. Covenant with this church for your sanctification for your growth in Christ. Who are you going to be responsible for? That's what church membership is. That's why Pastor Jeremy needs to know who's on the membership roll, cuz one day he and I are going to stand on judgment day and we're going to see people brought forward and we're going to have to give an answer for them. Well, I want to know who I'm going to answer for. I don't know about him. I'm not answering for you guys because we're not covenanted together like I am with my people over at Faith Baptist Church. And so you covenant together like a marriage. And your pastors will lead you and you'll follow and you'll love one another and you'll help one another grow into the image of Christ. You need to tend to the church. Church is not an event. You need to give your life to the Lord in service to Him. Now let's look at verse 6 and we'll finish quickly here. Peter quotes several Old Testament verses to show that our salvation depends on Christ and Christ alone. He says, For it stands in Scripture... And then he quotes from Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. But whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor, and that the honor there is, of, is escaping judgment by resurrection. God honored Christ by resurrecting Him from the dead. We get to escape judgment by resurrection. The honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And the word there is the gospel, if you look back to chapter 1, verse 25. They disobey the gospel. They hear the gospel and they go, no, I'm good. I don't need Christ. Your eternal destiny rests upon where you stand in regards to Jesus Christ. Is He your Lord and Savior? If not, then make Him so today. Now, beloved, it's easy to get discouraged when we're going through trials, when others persecute you and reject you because of your beliefs. It can be easy to forget the goodness of God and His abundant grace towards you. But notice Peter's encouraging words for the church as he mingles in even more Old Testament quotations. And he says in in, in the plural, people may reject y'all, but, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What affirming words to hear. Just like those... Egypt, or Israelites that came out of Egypt and have been slaves, they're now called precious by God. Beloved, you've been redeemed out of your sin, and now you are precious to God. The life of Christ is a pattern for Christians of all ages. Christians will be despised and rejected by the world, but chosen and precious to God. Destined to be honored at the resurrection after persevering through suffering. It's a pattern that we see in the scriptures. Redemption, trials, exaltation. Have you ever been chosen last, picked last on a team? I never had to worry about that until I got old. But, you know, like they're picking teams, and they keep whittling down, and it's just you and the other guy, and you're like, surely I'm better than that guy, and they pick him. <laughs> and, like, the other team is, like, looks at you and you go, okay, come on. <laughs> and, like, you're on the team, but, like, they're not passionate about it. It's like, yeah, you're on my team, but you're not really valued. Not so with God. Not so with God. Each of you. Individually are precious to Him. And if you're precious to Him, then you need to be precious to me and each other. Take the opportunity every week to gather together with one another. You may be despised and rejected by the world, but not so with God. Not only are we chosen, we're precious. We may be despised and rejected by the world, but not here in the New Testament temple. Not in the church. So proclaim His excellencies to the world and serve others in the New Testament temple, the church. What a privilege we have to serve as priests In God's temple. The church. Let's pray. Father we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Into your dwelling place. Father we only do this through. The redemption of your son. And the rebirth that comes through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father I pray. Help us to realize just how precious the church is to you. And Father, may we value one another as you value us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.